HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you. Hey, Food Radio listeners. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie, and I'm really excited to share that we're launching a brand new show. Meat and 3 is HRN's weekly food news roundup. Tune in for a deep dive and three tasty shorts every Friday evening. It's 15 minutes, so you can listen while you wait for your pizza. This week, the fight for universal free lunch in New York City public schools isn't over yet. I'm overburdened. I'm overworked. I don't get staffed when people are out. Plus, Dana Cowan, former editor of Food & Wine magazine and host of HRN's Speaking Broadly, catches up with Valerie Lomas, the winner of the Great American Baking Show's Derailed Season 3. Discover how a Danish brewery is motivating people to get fit and hear Alison Roman speak to the highs and lows of her cookie recipe going viral. Every time I see anyone in a social setting, that's generally the first thing they ask me is, how are the cookies? Be better informed and wildly inspired by the stories and people you hear on Meet and 3. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Listening to Heritage Radio Networks, let's uh, eat your words. And I'm your host, Kathy Airway. And summer is finally here, so I hope that means you are grilling a lot, whether it's Memorial Day weekend, Father's Day weekend, July 4th, or just a weekend, um, or not, or a weeknight. Um, there's so much to grill, and uh, who best to tell us how to grill everything than the author who told us or taught America how to cook everything, then went on to Tell us how to cook uh, everything vegetarian and how to cook everything fast. And he's also, in case that wasn't enough clues, he's also a best-selling author of Food Matters, longtime minimalist. That was his column at the New York Times um, for 13 years. So I'm really pleased to welcome back to the show Mark Bittman. Hi. Hi, Kathy. How Thanks. you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, so a little like, uh, you know, catching up here. Since you're not in the station this time, um, having a pizza with us today at Roberta's, uh, 
Why did you move to the West Coast? What's wrong with well, New York? Well, I moved back, you know. But <laughs> yeah. um, I, I always wanted to live on the West Coast, and I have lived on the West Coast before, and I like the West Coast. So I went back there in early 2015, but I came back here in early 2016. So I was there about 18 months. Ah, okay. I came back largely because my life is here. Yes, yes. So what are, like, the differences? Like, uh, so your life is here, but how is, like, the food scene most different, you think? Well, you know, scene, I don't know. But I, what I can say is that it is easier to get good ingredients year-round, especially in the Bay Area, than it is here. And, you know, that makes sense for two reasons. One, uh, climate. And two, there's just been a longer, better established sort of local food movement there. Mm. So I think there are... It's easier for people to do good farming there because of the weather, but I think it goes back a little more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, many reasons for that, but uh, hopefully we're working on that here. Well, no, uh, things are great here. It's just, um, you know, it's hard to feel like they're really great in May when the green stuff is just starting to trickle in. Mm-hmm. It's just starting to happen. We'll see. We'll see if this summer is a, is a good one for, for all kinds of foods and things to grill, of course. Um, I want to talk about like all these, you know, troubleshooting (laughs) issues around grilling with you, but just to kind of like backtrack and um, see a little bit of your career arc. I mean, you've, you've been teaching us how to cook for such a long time, you know, decades, as I mentioned, you know, your James Beard award winning, you know, show and um, uh, also, you know, the food policies that you write about a lot. Um, and then you, you know, since leaving New York Times, you joined Purple Carrot and, um, and then went back to food writing. And now you're doing a regular clo- column on New York Magazine Scrub Street, right? Right. Cool. Um, and, of course, churning out cookbooks. So why did you decide to go to, back to the, like, the How to Cook Everything series and why grilling? Well, How to Cook Everything has really never stopped. I mean, it is a series. It's, I don't know, there's probably seven or eight books in it at this point. And, you know, we are gradually redoing the old ones with photographs because it seems that's what people want. Uh But, you know, grilling is an old love of mine, and it's something that's fun for everyone. Everyone seems to do it. It's a little different than, you know, in-kitchen cooking. And, um... You know, I think I had something, I hope I have something to say about it that hasn't been said before, or at least a way of saying it that hasn't been done before. So, um, yeah, it was a really fun project. It's um, it's a fun book tour so far. It's, it's great to talk about it. And as I said, everybody, you know, everybody's fond of grilling. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure you can say that about deep frying, for example. Right, right. And I like how you this book really strikes... Um, a very sort of all-encompassing, very inclusive tone when it comes to grilling. You're not like, um, you know, staunchly for or against, like, I don't know, you know, charcoal versus gas, right? Do you have right. a f- tr- strong feelings about that? or No, I don't. I mean, I used to, 20 years ago, I remember having sort of staged fights with people <laughs> where I would be defending gas and they would be arguing that only wood charcoal was worth grilling on. And I can, you know, I can see that argument, but it's an extreme argument. And um, once you get to that place, you can start arguing that only wood is worth grilling on, which 
um, is even more extreme. So, you know, I, I think I'd agree that if I have all the time in the world, I want to build a wood fire. And if I have a little less time, I want to build a charcoal fire. And if I have almost no time, I want to mm-hmm. use a gas grill because you can start like 10 minutes after you turn it on. And um, that level of convenience is pretty amazing. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can draw parallels to the kitchen. I mean, one could argue that we all ought to have wood stoves in our kitchen because the food would taste right. better, and maybe it would, but we and, don't. We all have gas stoves in our kitchen. And some do. Some chefs do swear, swear by that these days. Right, so. but it's an extreme position. All right. Well, I think it's just interesting, I mean, that, uh, you know, you allude to the fact that this can be a very divisive topic in some cultures. Uh, um, so I, I can only imagine what would happen if you write how to smoke everything. And that's also another <laughs> well, you know, area I, where people get religious. Yeah. Intentionally, I mean, there is smoking and there is barbecue, mm-hmm. both in this book, and I think the techniques are good. But, I, you know, I, I constantly, maybe constantly, is a little strong. I frequently have to point out, uh, especially to barbecue fanatics, that there is a difference between barbecuing and grilling, and that grilling is a much, much bigger topic that encompasses barbecuing. And um, barbecuing, I think, is you know super interesting, but it's not, a, it's not something I want to spend two years working on. That's right. all personal yeah. preference. Okay. One other thing about gas grills, which, mm-hmm. you know, I discovered... Probably 20 years ago, um, many people talk about using wood chips on gas grills or soaked wood chips okay. on gas grills, which um, is fine, although soaking, I think, is counterproductive because it just makes steam. But anyone who lives not in the city can walk outside where their grill is and pick up a few sticks and throw them on the gas grill while it's preheating and create a little wood fire on there, and thereby turning that gas grill into a semi-wood grill. And, Ah. you know, the flavor's there, the smoke is there. It's incredibly easy, and it's a good thing to do, and it's sort of further reason to Hmm. think fondly of gas. Yeah. And what if I'm in the city? What if I just go to Prospect Park (laughs) and grab... I guess then use wood chips. Okay. (laughs) Oh, really? I can't... Okay. Well, you can pick up sticks if you can find them, but yeah. What kind of sticks should we be looking for, just to be... Uh, Hardwood, preferably, but... Most people are not going to know the difference between one stick and another. Got it. Um, well, I might give that a try, and you I should. might <laughs> might learn the hard way, but we'll see. Um, so, a well, lot nothing of, can go wrong. Yeah. Well, you, you know, know, unless you're grilling inside, nothing can go right. wrong. That's that's true. Um, so, a lot of people think about when they think about grilling, you know, a main course or a, a large, you know, hulking slab of protein, but uh, this book, well, A, this book shows that that whole main course, or sorry, that main course doesn't have to be protein. For instance, you have this whole section on vegetable main courses. Right. And then B, there's just so much more that you're teaching us how to grill that is not, you know, what you'd imagine, like, for instance, breads and desserts (laughs) as one section. Right. And uh, I I love... In particular, the appetizers are really intriguing. Um, you have a quick pickled charred vegetable. So this is just like your quick pickle veggies, but first they're charred on a grill. And that's um, that's an interesting twist. 
I mean, you can brown almost anything on a grill, and you can give additional flavor to almost anything on a grill. The question really becomes, is it worth the time and effort? So mm. I, you know, it's easy enough to think about how to grill meat, and um, there's certainly enough traditional dishes to choose from. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying I didn't include those things. Of course I did, but the challenge really was the sort of the exactly what you just said the bread the bread and dessert chapter which mm-hmm. i think is super fun the vegetable stuff which i think is incredibly useful and also fun and it's not you know it's funny people pick up on that charred pickled vegetables thing <laughs> but um you know you can grill avocado you can grill romaine lettuce you can grill radicchio you can grill you know so Great many food. different vegetables and they're so you know, you just get that added hit of smokiness and char, and it it really does sort of boost flavor. So, um, yeah. yeah, I sort of feel like once people have the grill going, the more you can cook on it, the better. I don't... Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Might so as well. then, you know, the idea of the book is you're, once you're grilling, think about grilling, you know, this cake. Think about grilling mm-hmm. biscuits. Think about grilling... As I said, romaine or figs or whatever. It's not just, you know, obviously, um, it's not just grilling meat or fish yeah. anymore. And uh, just quick shout out to the radishes with butter that are grilled first. And right. You have a so recipe again, you're for just that. Adding a layer of flavor. Right. Um, so I, I feel like I've been talking with every like different cookbook host I've had or cookbook author I've had on the show about radishes this year. So it's nice to continue that. Um, you never know. And then you have this um, wonderful recipe that is a traditional part of the Argentinian asado, which is literally, it looks like a cast iron pot of cheese. So it's a literally grilled cheese. Um, tell me more about right. that one. Provoletta. Right. Grilled cheese, literally. <laughs> well, you yeah. know, it's not a cooked cheese. It um, doesn't happen only in Argentina. It happens mm-hmm. in a lot of places. But um, it's a traditional thing. It's really interesting. It's really fun. It results in a sort of gooey mess, which is what everybody wants out of their cheese. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else to say about it, yeah. but it's fun. Well, I, I wanted to mention that because, well, each recipe, it looks like, has this other, like, sort of addendums at, at the end where you have variations from other cultures that are kind of similar. Or, yeah, not every recipe, yeah. but a lot of them do have that, yeah. Yeah, so you mentioned raclette, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you provide, it's a, you know, French sort of grilled or melty cheese. And then halloumi um, cheese, which is grilled with balsamic glaze and pomegranate seeds. And then a queso frito with salami. So, you know, knowing this technique, you can kind of take it on different um, cultures and cuisines. With each, well, with each you other. know, I've always done, um, you know, I think that recipe actually has even more variations because it's got mm. different kinds of cheeses you can put on the grill. But I've always felt like once you can do a technique, once you can do a recipe, then the easiest thing in the world is to just change a couple of ingredients and flavors ingredients or flavors mm-hmm. um, and you have a whole new recipe and you know when I started cooking from cookbooks there would often be essentially the same recipe page after page after page with a couple of tweaks right. yeah so yeah you know kebabs Armenian style right. followed by kebabs Indian style and the difference would too. be right the spices and um, I've always sort of tried to combine those into one recipe with a number of variations because it seems to me that once you learn how to make 
grilled cheese or vegetable soup is my common example. Mm-hmm. It, it's so easy to make any kind of that thing. Yeah, you know, I see that in so many older cookbooks, um, but not so many newer ones. So it's pretty cool to bring that back. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're going to cut to a quick little commercial interlude, and we want to chat a lot more about grilling right after the break. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. From papayas and samosas to reishi mushrooms, if it's something that sounds delicious, chances are you'll find the freshest, best version of it at Whole Foods Market. They have more than 400 stores across the country, so if you consider pizza its own food group or just can't imagine when avocado toast wasn't a thing, Whole Foods Market has you covered. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store near you. Whole Foods Market. Whatever makes you whole. back chatting more with Mark Bittman, whose new book is How to Grill Everything. Mark, you still there? I am. I guess, you know, we were talking about all the variations on a theme you can do with these recipes. My question is, can you grill or should you grill everything? Or are there some things that you should just leave alone? I think some things are just not worth grilling. I mean, you can boil water on a grill and then you can start poaching. <laughs> um Right. You know, I don't understand why that might be a practical thing to do. But mm-hmm. you know, so many people now have grills with attachments, side burners, spits, and so on, that you really can come closer to preparing whole meals on grills than you used to. And, yeah, I mean, you can, it, there's some things that's just counterproductive to grill, but I think mm-hmm. the whole idea, as I said before, I think the whole idea of how to grill everything is that once you turn on the grill, you can start thinking about making two or three or four mm-hmm. different things on the at the same time or sequentially on the grill and wind up preparing your whole meal right. rather than running back and forth into the kitchen. Right. Or once you've learned a few of these techniques, you can literally go off and um, learn how to or figure out, you know, how to grill anything knowing that. Well, um, I think, you know, the idea here is that if you don't know how to grill anything, this is going to get you started, but that if you do, and I think most people do know sort of basics of grilling, this is going to help you refine technique and give you new ideas and recipes. So, um, you know, it is a big book. It's 250, I think, recipes with probably another 700, 750 variations. So, um, you know, and descriptions of a lot of techniques and how to do stuff and how not to do stuff, the whole debate you were talking about before between gas and not gas and and so on. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious how your cookbooks have evolved over the years because, you know, as you mentioned, this is a, a sort of like very authoritative tome, you know, how to cook everything, how to mm. grill everything. You know, this is, this is, will literally help you figure out how to cook anything or everything. Um, and there's, you know, over 550 pages here in this book alone. So... Over the years, um, have your recipes evolved in any way? Like, have you included more since you've learned, you know, a lot more in your, you know, the few decades you've been writing about food? Right. I mean, I have been writing about food for, I started in 1980, so whatever mm-hmm. that is. Um, 
And I think every year things change. I mean, styles change, ingredients become more available. You can assume people know more. I feel differently about things. You know, I think when I started when I started cooking, I think it was much more meat and fish heavy than it is now. I think now um, I'm much more involved with vegetables. I make a lot of grain dishes. Beans are much more part of my diet and so on. But I think even beyond the sort of changing dietary um, styles is that is that we have so much more available to us and we know so much more and we talk about food so much more and um, hmm. so many more things are just in the air. Um, you know, I think if I wrote, I have written, you know, two and going on three versions of the original How to Cook Everything and they're really different and they're different because I'm different and my cooking styles are, style is different the and what different. I've learned yeah. is is different, and um, we change, we mature, times change, you're addressing a whole new group of people, I and mean, people who were 20 years old when I first, when I wrote the first How to Cook Everything are now 40, and people who are 20 now were barely born then, so it's like everything just kind of gradually changes and shifts, and, you know, it's not... It's not radical theory to say that every book that's written, and I think this does include cookbooks, is really about the time that it's written and the person who's mm-hmm. who's writing it. So I change, times change, everything changes, the book changes, the books change too. Well, I think that's great that you get to update them and um, change them. Now, I'm curious, though, is there any recipe or any phrasing that you used or something like that that makes you cringe, <laughs> that was maybe dated, Um that I don't know is just like too. I don't 1980s. know. When I look at the photographs in my first book, which was called Fish, um, I certainly cringe at those at that photography. Oh, but I think the crap. recipes are still. Um, I think the recipes are still good, and I think yeah. I still make most of them. So, um, I, I mean, I'm sure there are things I'd rather take back. But when I look at the body of work, I'm pretty proud of most of it. Okay. You didn't. You didn't say anything that was like um, a gaff. Hopefully, or that can't be so much. I don't More know. More in the opinion column I days than in the recipe writing days. Right. I think. Well, one thing I, I really appreciated was in the speaking of seafood. Um, in the opening, you know, section for that, well, opening page of that recipe section and how to grill everything on seafood, you have this handy sort of like how to buy seafood guide. And you right. had this like tip about you know choosing sustainable seafood, and that's um, did you I don't know is that something that you would have included maybe twenty years ago? Well, um, it's funny that you asked that question. Of course, when I um, first wrote my fish book, which was in the early '90s, so we're talking you know twenty five years ago, I guess. Um, the the question was the question that most people involved with fish had was how are we going to get people to cook these underutilized species, these things that we have so much of that people are not taking advantage of. And, of course, as soon as people discovered monkfish, for example, or octopus, they became endangered or overfished. So um, it's much trickier now. It's much, much trickier now. And I think we're in danger of 
losing entire fish populations, and we have to be really careful about what we buy and eat fish-wise. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, in a way, the first, it's an, it's an odd, well, and maybe it's not that unusual. The first question we ask about ingredients now is where do they come from? Right. And with fish, that means, you know, can I really afford, can the earth really afford for me to be eating this fish? And, right. and it's a more complicated process than it used to be because you kind of have to either have in your head, you know, these are the species that are sort of okay these days, or you have to be willing to like whip out your phone and go on the Monterey Bay Aquarium website, the Seafood Watch website and say, is this an okay fish to buy? Um, And the information changes. We want to know where our vegetables come from. We want to know where our meat comes from. We want, I mean, most of us and certainly most people listening to your show want to know the provenance of the stuff that they're eating. So fish is not that much different from, certainly from other animals, but even from other foods. Mm-hmm. But it's hard. I, I remember you uh, wrote, I think, on The Minimalist a long time ago about the challenges of, like, you know, keeping up with uh, the facts around which species are, you know, overfished and so forth. And and uh, you writing like, you know, I'm technically an expert and I can't even, you know, always identify these things when I'm out buying seafood. I um, think it is tricky. And I think um, I think I'll probably not write another fish cookbook oh. because of that, <laughs> because it also sh- the sands shift so mm. so frequently. So something that's considered overfished this year might be back in good supply next year and vice versa. And. If you put stuff in print and you don't say you have to refer to this website or you have to keep your eye on these things, then you're committing yourself to what may well be a mistake a year down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what yeah. seafood should we eat, do you think? Well, um, the shortest answer to that question is um, mollusks, because most of them are aquacultured and aquacultured well, mm-hmm. and small fish like anchovies and sardines and mackerel and thing, things that bigger fish eat. Um, you know, tuna and other, other swordfish, other big fish tend to be, um, tend to be in rarer supply and in worse supply than little tiny fish. Mm-hmm. Squid are also good, um, but octopus, for example, is often overfished. It's really like a case-by-case scenario. Mm-hmm. You can't go wrong with mussels, I'll say that. All right. All right. Power <laughs> to mussels. Um, and who doesn't want that in the summer? It's so quick to cook. Um, yeah. So I, I noticed that you're writing this, I guess it's now a series, um, on Grub Street, about what, you know, what should I eat now, you know, for health, for sustainability? What is the name of that article? I, I can't remember. Um, uh, I don't know, but it's, I'm telling you right now, it's not a series. Okay. <laughs> you wrote one, a follow-up, though. Came, the first one came out, and we said this really should be the last piece you need to read yes. about how to eat well. Right, um, right. And it was, like, the most popular piece on New York Magazine's website for weeks. Mm-hmm. So they asked us to write a second one, and we said, okay, we'll write a second one, but... That's it. So um, <laughs> Answered them all, all the questions. Right. I yeah. said, you know, this cannot become a weekly column because right. you can't say, here's all you need to know about how to eat well or sustainably or healthily and then say, oh, but that wasn't quite everything. Here's some more. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we did a second piece. We're not doing a third. Well, clearly there's strong interest in uh, these questions. So 
you know, I look I forward to I think that's because people just refuse to understand <laughs> how simple healthy eating right. can be. Um, they don't, it's, people are still looking for silver bullets and marketers, of course, mm-hmm. are still pushing silver bullets because that's how they sell things. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I say mm-hmm. to you, you have to eat oat bran in order to live well, or you have to eat things that reduce inflammation, then two days later, every manufacturer in the country, not if I say it, but if a greater authority than me says it, then two days later, everything is anti-inflammatory or everything contains oat bran. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not that complicated. It's basically what we know to be true, which is don't eat a lot of junk food, don't eat a lot of sugar, don't eat a lot of highly processed stuff, don't eat a lot of animal products, do eat a lot of unprocessed foods from the plant kingdom. It's kind of, that is it, period. Yeah, the Michael Pollan so, sort of, yeah, also don't eat anything that's marketed to you. So that goes <laughs> there is that. that. Yeah. Don't eat anything that claims to be healthy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I guess there's, you know, obviously there's a strong marketing incentive in that, but there's a strong interest in those questions. So I look forward to, you know, anything you might write on those topics. And, well, um, Good. Yeah. I'm glad. <laughs> so other people have But let's get the let's get the muscle lobbyists on your side <laughs> here and <laughs> help out that. Um, so it's about all, all the time we have for today. But um, what are you going to cook everything of next? If you have well, that? we are. Um, I am working on the third edition of the original How to Cook Everything, which, as I said, is going to be updated with photographs and um, new recipes. Probably cool. a third new recipe, something like that, and that's due out in a couple of years. So I'm hard at work on that one. Wow, that must be a big job. So yeah, it's a looking great forward to project. that. Really fun. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today, Mark. Um, it's a pleasure. Well, and thanks for having me. Always nice to talk with you. Thank you. All and right. uh, Take care. yeah, check out How to Grill Everything by Mark Bittman just out, and see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.